with a message from God's Word, here's Charles Stanley. Would you turn, please, to Romans chapter 6? And we have referred to this passage a number of times, Romans chapter 6, and I want us to begin reading in the first verse and read through a number of verses in this chapter. And the title of this message is The Believer's Journey to the Cross. All of us know the gospel account of Jesus' journey to the cross and how he carried the cross part of the way. But most of us never thought about the fact that there is a journey that you and I have to the cross. For Jesus has taught us in his word that he came to live his life in us and through us. And for him to have the liberty to live through us his life requires something in our life that he experienced in his. So Paul, having in these first five chapters of Romans discussed his whole redemption for us, that is, that he went to the cross and died in behalf of our sins, that when we accept him by faith, he justifies us, declares us not guilty, reconciles us unto himself and makes us one with him, he says. On the basis of what he's done for us and the fact that he has done it, then... Paul asks a question. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase or bound? That is, if God has provided salvation, if he's provided forgiveness and redemption, should we just go out and just sin all we please? Because the more you sin, the more grace you experience, and the more forgiveness you experience. And of course, it's, for, it's certainly a blessing to experience more and more grace. He says, no, God forbids to have such an idea. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live or still live any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life, and that is, in newness of his life, not our life. For if we have become united with him, which we have, identified with him, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness, that is, experience that, in the likeness of his resurrection. Then he says, knowing this, what? Knowing this, that our old self, that our old man, what we were before we were saved, has been once and for all crucified with him that is with Christ, that our body of sin, that which we have here, might be done away with, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. That sin's power in our body is broken, we no longer are forced to be the slaves of sin. So we're talking about God's ultimate objective here. For he says, for he who has died is freed from sin. Look down, if you will, in verse 11. Even so then, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not or stop letting sin reign in your mortal or physical body that you should obey in the lust of, because you don't have to. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God because sin's power has been broken. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. 
Then he says in verse 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Now, when you and I were saved, we were saved by the grace of God. That is, we accepted Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and the shedding of his blood was the atonement for our sin. Jesus Christ was substituted in your place and mine so that we would not have to stand before God one of these days and give an account for all the sin of our life, all of our been away from God, and all the acts and attitudes of rebellion and resentment and transgression and disobedience. That is, the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross took care of all of our sin, past, present, and future. Now, after we were saved, more than likely you and I began to try to live a different kind of life. And if we were instructed properly, and most of us were not, if we were instructed properly, our response would have been one way, and having been instructed poorly as most people were, our response was another way. That is, most of us, when we were saved, what we did, we started deciding about the things we were going to change in our life, habits we were going to drop off here. Attitudes we were going to change in, all the things that we were going to change. Well, so from a human point of view, it would appear that we would get better and do better and be stronger. And yet the truth is that's not the way it happened. And the reason it didn't happen that way is because God didn't arrange for it to happen that way. Otherwise, we'd be saved by grace and kept by what? Self-effort. Saved by grace and kept by good works. Saved by grace and growing by what? Doing better. And God never arranged that because, listen, He arranged, watch this, He arranged not to improve, listen, not to improve me, but rather, watch this, to do what? To replace me. That's His whole approach. That's why Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And if you crucify something, it's dead. He said not only that, he said, buried with him and then resurrected to walk a new kind of life. God's ultimate purpose and his ultimate destiny for every single believer is, watch this now, his ultimate destiny for every single believer is that what he says is theologically true. That is, it is positionally true from God's point of view that when you and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, not only did his blood atone for my sin, but what else? What else happened was he says when he was crucified, he said that God identified us in the crucifixion so that when we receive him as our Savior, what does he do? He identifies us. That is, he sees us as crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ because he says we were. That is, if you'll go back to verse 3 for just a moment and notice what he says. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into what? Into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his what? Into his death. All right, now watch this. He says that when you and I receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ and salvation. Now watch this. Remember this. A lot of things happened when you were saved that you didn't feel. You didn't even know they were going on. For example, when you were saved, the Bible says that you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You didn't feel that. He says your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. You didn't feel that. He says that he paid the penalty for your sin. You didn't feel that. He says he justified you, declared you not guilty. You may have felt a release, but you didn't feel what was going on. 
He said you were reconciled, you were redeemed, you were accepted. Many, many things went on the split second you said, I do accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Many things went on that you and I didn't even know about. In fact, it may have been years later that you discovered really what happened when you were saved. So, now listen carefully. We're not talking about something you feel. Nor did you feel, the moment you were saved, nor did you feel God the Father identify you in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He says he baptized you, he placed you in the Christ. All of us know that if we're saved, we are in him and he is in us. He says he baptized us, listen, he baptized us into the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, Paul says, when he was crucified, I was crucified. That is what God did in placing us into Christ Jesus. He put us all the way back into him into his crucifixion. He says, crucified with him, buried with him, risen to walk a new kind of life. Now, what happened was this. When you and I were saved, we were more than likely very poorly instructed. Somebody told us, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. He forgives you. And then you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. Then you, then you trust the Lord and live for him. What they didn't tell us was this, that, that this old physical body with its five senses would be just as active after salvation as before salvation. That there is a sin principle operating in the human body of the believer and an old sin nature in the life of the, old belie- of the, of the unbeliever. Listen, so he says, when you and I were saved, he says, we were crucified with Christ, put on the cross. He says, now, what is it that got crucified? What got crucified was the old you. That is, he says, the old you before you were saved, nailed to the cross, buried, and then he says that you and I are risen to walk a new kind of life in newness of life. That is, listen to me, what you are today, you were not before you were saved. What you were before you were saved, you are not now. You won't ever be that because what you were before you were saved, he says, the old man was crucified and buried, and that was the end of that. Not in the enslavement of my old life, but in the new freedom and liberty that God has provided for his children. Now listen, if I met somebody today who had never been saved, and I could sit down with that person and say, let me tell you how to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and what will follow thereafter, if you will follow my instructions. I could eliminate most of what I'm about to tell you. But you see, nobody told us. And so what is God's objective? Listen, his objective is not only getting us saved, but he wants what? He says, he wants, listen, salvation is offered to all men. It is only experienced by those who receive Jesus Christ by faith. Now, you can be a Christian and live your whole Christian life if you don't know the principles of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. If you don't know the principles, you can live 50 years for God and be in want. If you don't know the principles, you're not practicing the principles out of ignorance. Nobody ever told you. You could live 50 years. And if you're not practicing the principles, you're going to be in want. Where we are in the Christian life, I'm afraid, is that so many people are saved and know they're saved. They just don't know what else is available and ready and what God's ultimate goal was. Listen, getting saved is like getting in. But you see, that's the first step. And his goal is that you and I would live at the end of ourselves all day, every day, resting and trusting and relying upon him, 
allowing him to live his life in us and through us, that it be his work. He that calleth you, he says, will also do it. And not God, this is your part and this is my part. If I can't handle this, I'll give it to you. But as long as I handle it, I'll take care of it. And so we live defeated lives, miserable lives, and wonder why in the world God doesn't do more through us than he does. Friend, he wants to. He desires to. He's provided the means. And what is his means? Listen, that what, listen, that what we are positionally crucified and buried and risen to walk in newness of life, that that experience of crucifixion, that truth of crucifixion become a living experience within each of us. And so what does he do? You begin to hunger and thirst after God. And you say, Lord, I want your best. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of a settled for life. I want something more than this, God. Do something in my life. I've been to church. I've read the Bible. I've prayed. I've given. I've shared. I've done all these things and nothing seems to be working. God, do something in my life. And you begin to tell God you want his best. You know what he does? He just takes you by the hand and heads you to the cross. Because, you see, God wants the cross to be an experience, not just the truth. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you a list of words, all single words. You may want to jot them down. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. I'm not saying that every person who hears this message will experience everything I'm going to say. Some of you will experience some of it. Some of you will experience all of it. Some of you, depending upon your response to God, may experience very little of it. Or most of you may say, count me in, I've been through all of that. What I want you to show, what I want you to see is that the journey, it is that the journey to the cross in experience. And listen, you, are, you, have, you have already been crucified positionally from God's point of view. He wants to make that a living reality whereby he not only is the Lord of your life, he is the total life. He wants absolute Absolute, not just control, but he wants the flow of his life through you so that, listen, you and I become the living extensions of God Almighty here on this earth. So what does he do? He takes us by the hand and heads us to the cross. And I can tell you right now, the last place in the world any of us want to go is to the cross. We don't like it. It was the most horrible type and most painful type of death in the days which it was used, probably started by the Persians and, and certainly not the Romans. A man would do anything to avoid the cross. Anything to avoid the cross. The truth is, when once you and I begin to understand the truth of it, sometimes we feel the same way. But if I should ask you, how many of you have a real hunger to know God better? How many of you have a hunger to know God like you've never known Him before? Maybe you're sitting at home and watching or listening and you're saying, well, I've always wanted to be more than I am. And I've wanted God to do something in my life. And I've told him I'm willing to read the Bible more and pray more and do all these things and confess and repent. I really want God to have his way in my life. How many of you really and truly want to reach your ultimate potential for God? I mean... You want to experience what you believe the Bible teaches, but somehow you've been, on the, you, you've been on the edge, but just about the time you think you're there, it's like somehow you sort of drift away. Well, now, I don't want you to raise your hand because, listen, God knows your heart, and I don't have to know your heart, but I want to share something with you. My friend, God wants to bring every single one of us in experience to where we are positionally when he says, crucified, buried. And walking in newness of life. So I just want to give you some words. 
some ideas that will help you begin to think about what you can expect or interpret what God is already doing in your life, beginning with the word frustration. When God begins to work in your life and to head you to the cross, to bring you to the end of yourself, whereby it is all of Christ and none of you, one of the first things you're going to feel is frustration. What's happening? What's going on? What's going on in my life? And you'll feel confused sometimes. Secondly, you're going to, you're going to suffer defeat. You're going to think, well, why am I so defeated in my Christian life in this particular area? So you suffer defeat. Then you're going to begin to, to suffer pain. And here's the kind of pain I'm talking about. When God begins to work in your life and you begin to see what you are from God's point of view, and here's what he does. He just peels off layer after layer after layer. And the more he peels off, the more you see, you think, oh, my God, I'm not too sure I can take this. I, I know that I'm not the worst person in the world. And you start defending yourself before God, and that doesn't do any good. And so what happens is it, it oftentimes becomes a very painful experience to allow God to open up your heart and your life and to show you what he sees and to show you the truth. Now, listen, we don't mind somebody else sort of telling us their opinion. But listen, when God begins to show you the truth about you, it is one of the most painful things in the world. Because the truth is that most of us have a pretty good idea about what we think about ourselves. That is, if we think somebody else is thinking about us. My friend, when God takes you by the sweet hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and leads you to the cross, it can become one of the most painful experiences in life discovering what you like. The next word is lonely. Listen, you know what he'll do? He'll isolate you. You'll think, well, listen, Lord, now, I just need somebody to help me. You know what God does? The people who will pray for you the most, it may be your husband, your wife, your sons, your daughters, your parents. Here's what God does. Friend, listen. God only takes us to the cross and experience one at a time. He can't take us two at a time. Your wife can't go with you. Your husband can't go with you. Your children can't go with you. Your parents can't go with you. Your friends can't go with you. You get isolated. God is dealing with just you. What is he doing? He is bringing you to the point of learning to rely upon him, depend upon him, rest in him. Listen, and that is, it is Christ and Christ only. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, not Christ and this and Christ and that and Christ and the other. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. In fact, there isn't anything else but sinking sand. God isolates us because, listen. He has created us for himself. He wants to bring you and me to the point of experiencing the crucifixion whereby we have absolutely nothing and nobody but almighty God himself. Isn't it significant? When Jesus headed out with the cross to Golgotha, there was nobody. Nobody. He finally fell with the cross and someone picked it up and carried him. But that was a lonely trip. He must have walked through those crowds and people whose faces that he would remember who were, who were waving the palm leaves on his entrance into Jerusalem were the same, some of the same crowd who was saying, crucify him. And out of, a, out of a lip that once was praise was now profanity. Out of an expression that was once love and welcome was now hatred and resentment. It was a lonely trip. And I want to tell you something. When God begins to work in your life and take you to the cross, it is amazing how he just separates everybody. Everything around you. You can live around the same people in the same house, and it's like they're not there. God's working on you. He isolates you. He just sort of compacts you. And there he begins to work in your life. Because you see what he's after? He's after his absolute, total dependence and reliance upon him, plus nothing and nobody. And it's painful and it's lonely. The next word would be natural, fearful. God, what in the world's going on?
What's happening to me, Lord? Have you forsaken me? And I'm going to tell you, he never has. And you can remember that every word I'm going to give you, when it comes from God, my friend, is, is God's expressing his love and devotion to you. Listen, he knows what you can be over here, but he knows when he brings you through the valley of the cross, and he brings you to the cross, and you're willing by experience to experience what he says position is truth, your death. God knows what you desire, and He knows how painful and how lonely it is. He's going to walk with you every step of the way, and the only person you're going to have on the trip is Jesus Christ and Him alone. He's going to see to that. And that ought to say something to the rest of us. We see God working in somebody's life and taking them to the cross. I want to tell you, my friend, don't you get in the way of what God's doing in somebody else's life, or you'll be the one who gets the pressure. That's the way God operates. Listen, he knows what he's doing in your life, and your friend comes to your rescue, your friend is stepping, in, is stepping in where God is operating, and the worst thing that a friend can do when God has you close to the cross is your friend coming on a rescue for you from your pain and your suffering. And you see, that's what we would naturally want to do. But God has, has us headed toward the cross, not helping from somebody else. Then rejection. The feeling, God, have you rejected me? Feeling rejected by the people. You see, when you get isolated and you get lonely and God gets you crowded to himself and there's nobody but just you and him, you're going to feel rejection. Things people say, the way they respond, the way they act comes across as rejection. And that, of course, is going to bring humiliation. God, what in the world's happening to me? I'm not what I used to be. Thank God. Hallelujah. That's what the Lord wants to hear you say. You're not what you used to be. Not going to be what you used to be. Can't ever be what you want to, use, what you want to be. It's where, as far as where you were in the past, but now God is taking you up on your hunger, your thirst, your yearning, your desire to be what he wants you to be. And what he's doing, he's taking you by the hand into the valley of humiliation and bringing you what? Bringing you not only to humiliation, but bringing you to failure. You say, wait a minute now, haven't you preached on success? I have. Well, don't you say, no, doesn't God want us to succeed? He does. But my friend, what's the trip? What's the journey? What's the step? In the spiritual life, there is no way to succeed in the spiritual life until, first of all, you are willing to come to the place to say, God, the hard, cold fact is, the truth is about me. When it comes to living the Christian life, God, I am a failure. I haven't just failed. I am indeed a failure. You say, but that's not consistent with God. Oh, yes, it is. Jesus said, I've come that men might have life and have it more abundantly. He says, I've come to what? That dead men may live. He says, I've come to give my life. And that is, it was the death of Christ. Listen, not his life, his death. His atoning death on the cross that made it possible for me to be forgiven and to live. His resurrection in me makes my life worthwhile. But it was his death. And you see, before you, listen, before you and I will be able to live to the maximum of our, of our potential, until we begin to experience what God wants us to experience, we'll never be able to experience the joy and the victory and the triumph and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life until, first of all, my friend, we are willing to be humiliated in death until God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. Failure is a part of it. Nobody likes failure any more than they like the cross. But you see, from the world's point of view, it appeared that Jesus was a failure. His disciples left him. They followed him afar off. And you know, when Jesus died, he died, friend, alone. 
He died so alone, he cried out to his own heavenly Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he says he baptized every one of us into his death. It looked like Jesus Christ, a lonely figure dying alone up there between two thieves. Certainly his ministry was a big failure. And my friend, that's where God leads us. Coming to the realization we failed in our Christian life. Things aren't working out the way we thought they ought to work out. And so what does that do? That creates all kinds of anxiety. What's happening next? What's, what's God up to in my life? Lord, what are you going to do? What am I to do now? Then we become grieved in our spirit. Grieved in our spirit because we look and say, Lord, I've failed you so many times. Look at the defeat after defeat after defeat in my life. God looks like I just can't do any better. I can't be any better. I've tried to be better and I can't. And so we become grieved about our attitudes. Things in our lives, in our lives that ought not to be there. And so what do we do? After we, after we are grieved, we get angry. We get angry with God. God... Why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing these things in my life? And you know, whenever you get angry with God, what happens? It spills over on people all around you. You get angry with other folks, and then what happens? You start blaming other people for your feelings. Well, if he didn't do this, and she didn't do that, and he didn't do the other, and if she'd act this way, and he'd act that way, then things wouldn't be the way they are. Listen, friend, when God gets you, and he's taking you to the cross, you can blame everybody you want to. The only person you can blame is you and God. <laughs> you told God you wanted his best, he took you up on it. The only person you can blame is you and God. Listen, you're going to have a hard time blaming God. And I'll tell you something else. He's not going to listen to what you say. God, I don't want this. I don't like this in my life. Now, I want you to watch what I'm going to say because what I'm going to say following what I'm warning you about right now is the whole key. You don't have to go there if you don't want to. If you don't want, if you don't want to experience the cross, you don't have to. But I'm going to tell you, blaming God won't stop anything. Then you get rebellious. Rebellious. Rebellious to people around you. Rebellion in your heart. And you decide, God, if it isn't working out, if, if it isn't going to work out, then I'm just going to take control of this thing and I'm going to pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to make this thing work. I'm going to be what I ought to be. And I'm going with determination and fortitude. I'm going to make things work. And the harder you try to make it work, the more it falls apart right in front of you. Disaster after disaster can take place. Then you start feeling worthless. God, I'm not worth anything. Nothing's working out. I'm just failing everywhere I turn. Nothing's working out. Just, just failing everywhere, you become worthless. Then you start feeling so inadequate in every area of your life. You think, God, I can't do anything. Nothing's working out. The things that used to work don't work anymore. The whole thing's falling apart. God, what are you doing in my family? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing to my parents? What are you doing in my job? God, what in the world's going on? God isn't upset with all that. Won't take much of that till you get to feeling weary. Thinking, Lord, I can't handle much of this. And all the angels in heaven say, Hallelujah. Lord, I can't handle much more of this. And God says, That's right, you can't. Because you see, you become weary and discouraged. Now watch this very carefully, what I'm going to show you. Don't, don't dare miss this. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. Listen. When you get weary... And worn, and you begin to see that your pile of what you can do is getting smaller and smaller. And what God's going to have to do in your life is getting larger and larger. And it looks like everything looks like it's falling apart all around you. And failure is the best description of what you feel about yourself. I want you to remember this. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he prayed the prayer. He asked God, the Father, listen. 
if there were any other way for him to accomplish what he came to accomplish. He wasn't questioning. He wasn't questioning his purpose for being there. He says, is there any other way? If not, I'm willing to drink this cup. There was no other way for you and me to be saved, for us to have any hope or help in our life, except that Jesus Christ, the loving Son of God, trudge all the way to Calvary and die with spikes in his hands, a javelin in his side, thorns on his brow, and he hang there and died in your behalf and mine. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to me. There wasn't any other way for Jesus but the crucifixion. And my friend, there isn't any other way for you and me to discover the life that God has for us unless we're willing to experience the cross, which he says positionally is already true in our life. Remember this. Satan will always offer you a much more appealing and attractive route. He will do anything in his satanic power to keep you from coming to the place of ultimate desperation and hopelessness. And you cry out to God, my God, my God, yes. I've heard people say, God doesn't break people. You don't think he does? The whole principle is there, except the grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much wheat. And you can take one grain of wheat and you could make, if you kept on reproducing it, you could cover the earth with wheat if the soil was properly treated from one grain. What did Jesus do? He died. He went to the cross, and his crucifixion, my friend, every single one of us is the fruit of the crucifixion of our Lord. So what happens? If we hang in there and don't take the detour, we're going to get broken. And the brokenness is going to result in misery. We're going to think, God, I'm so miserable myself. I don't like me. I don't like anybody else. God, what in this world are you doing? And then we get real desperate. Listen, when we start crying out of desperation, hopelessness, we come to the end of ourselves and saying, God, watch this now. Lord, we started out, this is my pile of what I'm going to do and what you're going to do. And Lord, what you're going to have to do and what I can do. And as I look at my pile, God, there isn't anything left. Because the truth is, I can't. He that calleth thee will do it. Listen to me. He takes us by the hand and leads us to the cross. And in essence, here's what he's doing. He is putting the pressures on our life that are necessary to do what? To strip us of every human thing and person in our life that we could rely on apart from Jesus Christ. Everything. Now, some of it he'll take away physically. Some of it he will take away as we give it to him in our own minds. He brings us to the point of, we, we, of our having to say, God, I can't. What does he want us to do? He wants us, listen, to come to the place where we say, God, I am a failure. The truth is, Lord, that I've been at the center of my life. Now watch this carefully. Friend, it's amazing to me how we can do this. And when I discovered this in my own life, I was almost shocked. We can say that, God, you're at the center of our life. 
The truth is, when we're at the center of our life, we can wrap God around it, religion around it, and church around it, and work around it. And it can get so camouflaged, it looks like Jesus. But if you take all the covering off, what you've got is old ugly self. Lord, I'm a failure. Self's been the center of my life. And I want you at the center of my life. In fact, I want you to be my life in experience. Not just, not just in truth, but in experience. I'm a failure. I have failed. I am a failure. I have failed. And by faith, I'm just giving you permission to do anything you want to do in my life, Lord. I just humble myself before you. And I accept by faith what you said, that when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified. I accept my crucifixion. I accept my death, my burial, and I accept my resurrection to walk in newness of life. Accepting, listen, by faith that sin's power in my life has been broken. And that from this moment on, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ Jesus that lives within me. That's what Paul said. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, he said, yet but not I. It's Christ now living his life in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. You know what's happened in that moment? Listen. Watch this now. When you and I were saved, when you and I were saved, he says the old life was put away. And we received a new life. In the experience of the cross, we begin to experience in our daily life. What is already true, and that is that Christ begins to live his life through us, unhindered by old self, because we acknowledge what happened to old self, and acknowledge that sin's power is broken. Listen, does not mean a sinless life, not talking about a second blessing, not talking about anything new, just talking about what God said in his word. And that is the truth is that sin's power has been broken, and you and I have the choice. Listen. We have the choice to accept crucified, buried, risen. We have the choice to accept a brand new life that God has provided for every single one of us. In the first service this morning, a man came forward. He said, I have never believed in the crucifixion before. This morning, I believe it, and I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I wonder how many of you know in your heart that you're saved. I wonder how many of you know in your heart that there's been a time when you met the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You know that your name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you know that you have a brand new life. Listen to me carefully. If you've been saved, my friend, what he wants you to do is to experience, listen, to experience the cross life, just like you did the salvation experience. Not only is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, not only are you going to heaven, but here and now, Christ living his life through you. He's Lord and Master. He's everything. Sin's power has been broken in your life. And the freedom and liberty that God has provided for his children becomes a living reality. No longer what you're going to do versus what God's doing. But now it's resting in him and relying upon him and trusting him to do through you because it's now his life and not your life. It's rising every morning, thanking him that today he's going to live through you his life. And that your life becomes a living extension of God's life here on earth. In experience, not just in thought. You say, well, how do I do that? The same way you did when you were saved. What did you do? You accepted by faith Jesus as your Savior. What I'm asking you today is this.
Are you willing to confess out of sincerity, God, I'm a failure? I've been at the center of my life. I give you full permission to do anything you want to do with my life. I accept by faith my crucifixion, my death, my resurrection. And from this moment on, I accept by faith that the life that is within me is the real life. Christ in me. Christ through me. And I'm accepting that by faith. Every day, it's trusting Him to be and to do what He says. He predestinated to be an experience in your life. You know what I'm telling you? I'm just saying, my friend, you don't have to bear the weight any longer. The stress, the tension, the strain, the frets, and the cares. The problems may be there. Nothing in your circumstances much, much, may change, but I can tell you this. What changes within you will make your whole perspective of your circumstances different. I've seen the most beautiful things happen in marriages, in relationships, friendships, business relationships. All kind of things begin to happen. And here's the interesting thing. You can take two people who are at great animosity toward each other and you let one of them go to the cross. Listen. Something happens to the other person. Now, you're a teenager and you hate your parents and you've rebelled against them and you can't stand them. Because of what they've done to you, I want to tell you something. If you're willing to, for the Lord Jesus Christ to make the cross real in your life, it'll be amazing what happens in your parents' life. You may have suffered all kinds of disaster and hardship and heartache and sorrow and hurt from the deepest, deepest, innermost being of your heart. I want to tell you something. The healing starts the moment you're willing to tell him, Lord, not I, Christ living in me, and I accept that. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley, speaker on the In Touch television and radio broadcasts. To order additional copies of this message, or for a catalog listing available video and audio copies of other messages by Dr. Stanley, call toll-free 1-800-323-3747, or place an order online when you visit our website at intouch.org. If you prefer to write for more information, our mailing address is In Touch, Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia, 30357. If outside the USA, please contact your local In Touch office. This has been a production of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia.